welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with Wendy for the final time in this season two of our podcast, because our Camino has really come to an end, and it's time to wrap it all up. Yeah, so that's sad, but, you know, we had a good run. I mean, it was a pretty long one, so I think by the end we were pretty ready to get back home. Yeah, I agree. And so for this last episode, we're going to talk about the final part of our Camino, which was walking from Santiago to the coast, to the village known in Spanish as Finisterre and in Gallego as Fisterra. So I think you're going to go with the Gallego pronunciation? Yeah, I'm in full-on Gallego mode right now. You know, this is the main project I'm working on is improving my Gallego and hopefully, you know, getting up to speed where I can do literary translation from Gallego. So yeah, I tend to use the Gallego names and just use Gallego any chance I get, basically, which is not that often. All right. Well, I usually say Finisterre, but I'll try to go with Fisterra as well and we'll... Um add a Gallego flavor to it all. Sounds good. All right, so we decided that we would continue to the coast from Santiago, and this is actually the first time that we've done this. Yeah, we have wanted to do it uh, several times before. I mean, even on our very first Camino on the Frances, we kind of thought in the beginning that we might want, we might go all the way to Fisterra, but then we took longer than we expected to make it to Santiago, and so we ran out of time. And that seemed to be a trend that we just never had enough time to make it all the way to Fisterra. Yeah, I think also just that very first arrival in Santiago, it's such a big moment. You've sort of been building up towards it for so long, and then to get there and then think, oh, this is not the end, I'm going to do four more days. Mm. that's just we just weren't up for that i think we were exhausted physically emotionally everything yeah but you know so we've walked into santiago three previous times and never walked to fisterra we've also never taken uh, any of the bus trips or day trips or anything like that because we always had the idea that we wanted to come back and walk it and it would be better if we'd never been there before so we had it in mind that this is something that we wanted to do we just the opportunity just wasn't there Definitely. Yeah, no, it it had never occurred to me that we might take a bus because I was always saving it for the chance when we would get to walk there, just like Santiago. I mean, we had had opportunities to fly into Santiago for a quick weekend trip, um, but we always had it in the back of our minds, one day maybe we'll do the Camino. And so we never did that. And I'm glad. I'm glad that our first sighting of the cathedral, well, that was a bit anticlimactic because it was covered in scaffolding at that time. It's not anymore. It's beautiful now. Um, But yeah, I'm glad that our first experience of Santiago was uh, arriving at the end of a pilgrimage, and same with Fisterra. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting point that you bring up, is that the cathedral finally is no longer covered in scaffolding, at least the main facade, and it's the first time that we've seen it like this. So we've been to Santiago uh, four times now, nearly once a year, and every year it's been slightly different, or there's been slightly more, or slightly less scaffolding, or on a different... Um, part of the cathedral, but finally it's gone mm-hmm. and um, it looks amazing. Yeah, it really does. All right. So why do you think it was important to us this time, given that it was our longest Camino? So in a way, you might think that we wouldn't have added these extra few days on at the end, but why do you think it was important to go to Fisterra this time? 
Well, one thing, I mean, I don't know, maybe this was just something silly, but it became important to me was that I wanted it to be a coast-to-coast walk because we had started in Tavira uh, in the Algarve on the southern coast of Portugal, and I picked up a little shell, um, you know, a little San Jacques Camino shell, uh, just a very tiny one because that was all that I could find. But from day one, or even day zero, because that was the day before we started walking in Tavira, I had this idea that, you know, I would have this one shell from the beginning and then another shell that I would pick up at the end in Fisterra. Yeah, and it's interesting because, as we've said before, we haven't done the coastal Caminos, such as the Camino del Norte or the Portuguese coastal, and we're not really drawn to those as much as we are to other Caminos. And then the other point about this Camino was that we started on day one at the ocean and finished on day 60 at the ocean, and we didn't see the ocean not even once in all the days in between. Yeah. And so really it was coast to coast, but it wasn't a coastal Camino by any stretch of the imagination. It was entirely in the interior. But yeah, to begin on the first day on the coast and to end uh, on the coast on the last day, you know, was it felt like we'd, you know, made this uh, this huge journey, mm-hmm. even though we were on the same body of water. Ultimately, it was the Atlantic Ocean both times, but it felt like we'd really, I don't know, achieve something. Yeah. So what we decided to do was to go to Fisterra, but not to Mushia. That's another village that's on the coast. It's further north, and a lot of people combine them. And a lot of people also say that Mushia is actually the nicer of the villages. Mm-hmm. But Fisterra is just more iconic and more emblematic of the coastal route. It's not really about Fisterra, the village, although you do stay there. Mm-hmm. But it's about going to the Cape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this idea of what Fisterra or Finisterre means being the end of the earth. Right. And... I haven't looked into this too much, but from what I understand, there was actually some sort of uh, ancient pilgrimage, uh, you know, that the Celtic peoples uh, before the Christianization of the Iberian Peninsula um, would make this pilgrimage to Fisterra and do certain rituals there and things like that. So, um, and then the the Camino kind of appropriated that that trail that uh, and that tradition that was already in existence. Um, there are many other cases of when Christianity has done this. This is part like Fisterra is a part of the history, very ancient history of the Camino as well. So I also wanted to experience that. Right. And so I think if we were going to go to Mushia, it was going to add an extra day, or we could have done it in four really long days. But having taken 56 days already to get to Santiago, we weren't really up for long days. And so we thought we'd just do the four days to Fisterra. And that means we can save Mushia for next time. Yeah. Um, And I definitely would like to go there. Um, Yeah, there are different ways that you could do it. You know, you could walk just to Mushia, you could walk just to Fisterra, you could do a triangular route that includes both of them. You can also walk all the way back to Santiago if you want. Um, We did see some uh, markings, you know, pointing people back in the opposite direction, so you could uh, walk there and back. We didn't do that. We did take the bus back to Santiago once we got to Fisterra. Right, and I think you could actually do that more or less as a loop. It wouldn't necessarily be... Or part of it is a loop. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be, be that you just walk up and then walk back exactly the same way. You can do this triangle, like you mentioned, to Mushia and then to Fisterra and then back to Santiago that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just decided for four simple days and, and not two long days, um, just so we could kind of enjoy it. And it was just sort of the, the victory lap of our Camino, so to speak. Yeah, basically. 
it was quite different from the rest of the Camino that we'd walked uh, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But basically, because this is, I guess you could say, an extension of the Frances, or I mean, really, it's an extension of all routes that come to Santiago. And so right. in that way, it, it brings together all these pilgrims that have arrived in Santiago you know, on different routes. And of course, we're still, you know, during the pandemic. And so it's not as popular as it would be normally, or as it would have been a couple of years ago. Um, but the first thing that was a shock to us was that there were pilgrims. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it wasn't a total shock. Like we kind of expected that we would start seeing pilgrims, but it was still a bit of a shock to the system because, you know, we'd gone so many days seeing hardly any pilgrims, just the two that we've talked about before. And yeah, it was suddenly a very different experience to, you know, sometimes have people walking near you. <laughs> that, that was something very new for us because we were used to be walk, walking on our own the whole time. And even you and I, we most of the time we're not actually walking side by side. Sometimes we are, sometimes we chat for a little while, but then, you know, we have a different pace. You have a much faster pace than I do, so often you're ahead, uh, or then maybe sometimes you stop to take photos and then I go ahead. So, you know, we're used to being alone and being off in our own little world, and then to have other people around and hear their conversations and stuff, it was... It was a bit jarring. Yeah. I, the funny thing for me was that, you know, because as we'd been walking to Santiago, we'd obviously had come across local people in villages or in fields or, or what have you. And so we always greet people when we pass them. Mm-hmm. And so I was very used to saying, while we were in Portugal, if it was in the morning, saying bon dia to people. And then once we got to Spain, saying buenos dias to people. And the funny thing on the first day of walking towards Fisterra, when other pilgrims would say buen camino to me, I just couldn't say it back, or I I wasn't used to saying it, and I would say buenos dias, and then I'd think, oh, right, I'm also supposed to say buen camino to you, because you're actually a pilgrim walking the camino. You're not just some person that I'm just passing here on the on the trail. Mm-hmm. And I just caught myself a couple of times. Yeah, I was just unprepared to even say buen camino. Like, that's how long it had been for us, really, apart from these two instances where we'd actually seen pilgrims. Yeah. And it didn't feel completely overrun with pilgrims. Like, there there weren't that many compared to memories that I have of, you know, the last few stages into Santiago, for example. Uh, on, on the, the On the Frances, yeah, sorry. Uh, on the Frances or also on the Primitivo once it connects to the Frances after Melide. Um, when, yeah, it can feel really full on and, you know, you're, it's like you're, you're in a, a race or something, like so many people around you. It wasn't like that at all, but uh, there were enough pilgrims around for us to say, hey, this is very different from what we've been doing for the past couple of months. Definitely. And we did see one group as well, which was interesting and a little bit weird because it's a kind of pandemic group uh, and there was a group of i think 12 or so pilgrims but they were all walking single file it was more than 12 i think it was more like 20 i would have said okay yeah but they were walking single file and it seemed that they'd been directed to walk single file and to not kind of walk side by side and mingle with each other so that was a little bit unusual because it looked like a kind of forced march yeah yeah they did not look like they were having fun and they didn't seem very friendly either. Like, I would say when Camino to them and they wouldn't respond. So, yeah, I guess perhaps it was, you know, pandemic measures taken by the tour company that had organized it that had told them that they should minimize in social interactions, in which case, what's the point of going with a tour? 
um, because they were Spaniards too. So it's not like it was people who were worried about you know doing this big thing in a foreign country where perhaps they didn't speak the language. Like they could have easily done it on their own. So I don't really see what the benefit was for them of going in this group and marching single file the whole way to Santiago. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, it just took out a lot of the social camaraderie of maybe what they were hoping for or mm -hmm. what they had had in previous years. Um, a few other differences. I mean, just the usual things that you expect on a popular Camino that we just had not had. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that includes, well, albergues for one, right. <laughs> um, because we'd hardly stayed in any of those. Also, the signage was much, much better than what we had seen. Mm. Um, because, especially in terms of the Jeda, which was the last Camino that we'd walked into Santiago, the signage or the waymarking signs were quite inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about, sometimes it was just very basic um, sort of printed signs or stickers or things like that. And so suddenly on the way to Fisterra, we were looking at the Mojones, these kind of uh, pyramid-shaped um, stone blocks which have the arrow and the shell. And they also have the distance to, in this case, to Cape Fisterra. Mm -hmm. And you weren't sure if you liked the distances. No, um, I didn't like the distances, actually, which, I mean, I've seen them in the past on previous Caminos, and it hadn't bothered me before, but just, I guess, because we'd gotten into such a routine, you know, on this long Camino of the past couple of months, and so I had kind of a feel for, you know, how often we stopped during the day and how far we would walk in between stops and things like that. So I had my own kind of internal clock of, of, and I, of how, of keeping pace and, you know, knowing how far we'd come. And I really didn't like seeing these extremely precise measurements of, you know, like down to the hundredth of the centimeter or something. Like it was, <laughs> it was really precise measurements of, of the distance between each uh, of the mojones and they're very frequent so it's um usually less than a kilometer you know like just a few hundred meters that you walked uh before you see the next one and so your eyes are just automatically drawn to it and you see that it looks like the distance has hardly moved at all so you feel like it it, ma it makes it feel much slower for me it did because um yeah you're just constantly reminded of you know, of how far you've come or haven't come. Whereas if you don't have those numbers in your face all the time, you're not always thinking about it. But when you constantly see it, then it makes you think all the time about, oh, how much further do we have to go? Yeah, I'm probably more into the numbers usually than you are. But yeah, it, it's, it is a bit too much. And you, you, but you are kind of forced to, to look at it and think about it as you pass them. So you, you'll kind of pass one, then you'll pass the next one and think, oh, we've only gone, you know, 0.4 of a kilometer. And I thought it was more like 0.6. And then, you, yeah, you kind of feel yourself drawn into this game of seeing what the distance is. And yeah, that's not really the best way to approach a long day's walk mm. is to write, especially right from the outset, think, right, I've gone 300 more meters than the last time we looked at a sign. Because if you break it down into tiny, tiny, tiny little chunks like that, uh, it just feels like it takes forever. And yeah, just to get into the rhythm and not really know what you're doing is perhaps the best way to approach it and, and more in the spirit of pilgrimage, I would say as well. Yeah, yeah. So normally, you know, we would have our first break 
maybe a couple of hours into our walk and we'd stop and have breakfast. We don't typically eat breakfast before we set out. And so that would always be the point where I would say, okay, how far have we come? And we'd check it on our phones. And sometimes it would be a nice surprise, like, oh, wow, we've already come eight kilometers. And sometimes it would be less. So it would be six or even five. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of the first time of the day that I had thought about how far we had gone. Whereas with the Mahonas, you're just always thinking about it. So I had to actually control myself to, to not look at it, to deliberately avoid looking at the numbers because, yeah, I didn't want that to be what I was thinking about the whole day. Right. So apart from these couple of things, what did you make of the first three days of the Camino to Fistera? Well, um, we had beautiful weather, so that was really lucky, and we were very much enjoying that after all of the rain that we'd had previously on the Gaeta. Um, I thought that the scenery was really nice. Um, I think maybe you were not as impressed with it, or... Yeah, I feel like we saw a lot of agriculture, we saw a lot mm -hmm. of fields, mm -hmm. and it was, you know... The, the Camino that we'd been walking up to that point, the agriculture that we'd seen were things like vineyards and olive trees. Right. Uh, and even going back to the Antejo, cork trees mm -hmm. and things like that. But it was more just, you know, uh, planted fields. Um, and so it wasn't the kind of wild countryside or the natural countryside that we'd been used to or the the agriculture production that that's things like vineyards and olive trees, which are really nice to look at anyway. Mm -hmm. Um so that was a bit different, and we could just tell that there was more agriculture in general. We passed a lot of dairy farms, for example, yep. and we hadn't seen any of those, basically no. the entire Camino. So it just seemed a little bit more developed in terms of its agricultural production and a bit mm -hmm. less like the forests of Galicia that you kind of think of when you walk in Galicia. Yeah, there were some forest bits as well. I do remember walking through some forests. But yeah, I would agree that there was lots more evidence of both plant-based and animal-based agriculture. Um, yeah, the dairy farms is something that I had really associated with Galicia after doing the Frances, because you pass through a lot of dairy farms there as well. So I kind of thought that that was something that was pervasive throughout Galicia, but it's not, because uh, on the Gata, we didn't really see any of those. Right. The other thing for me was that anybody who does the Camino, who walks the Camino, talks about how the it's the journey and not the destination that's the goal, or that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So you're walking to a place like Santiago, and of course you want to reach it, and I love Santiago myself. Some people say it's a little bit perhaps underwhelming compared with what they thought, but it's not really about arriving mm -hmm. uh, in uh, you know as much as it is about the journey, especially if it's a long Camino, which takes you several weeks to get there. I kind of felt just for myself going to Fisterra that it kind of was about the destination mm -hmm. that after 56 days into Santiago, we had these four more days and I was just really focused on arriving. And maybe for that reason, I, I didn't enjoy the rest of it so much. Mm, yeah. I think I was just um, pretty worn out by that point. Also true for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of energy left. So, um, for example, I had been doing or trying to... Uh, do a video in Gallego every day on the Camino, and I kept it up for a really long time, uh, all the way through the Nascenti until the Torres, 
And um, then I I had a break, and then on the Gaeta I had to have a break again. And from Santiago to Fisterra, I said, okay, I'm not even going to attempt to make daily videos this time because I, I know that I'm going to be really tired at the end of each day, and I just want to relax. I mean, <laughs> walking 20, 25 kilometers a day is a funny way to relax, but, um, you know, I just didn't want to put any pressure or commitments on myself. Um, so yeah, for me, I was, I was kind of just on autopilot at that point. And I did try to really soak it up as much as I could because I knew that it was about to come to an end. So I was trying to savor those last moments of the Camino. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I wasn't probably as interested as I had been previously about, you know, looking up the information and the history about the places that we were passing. Yeah, it was just all kind of a blur, really. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so, yeah, I think it wasn't that we were checked out mentally. It was just that we'd had this goal to get all the way to Fisterra and that goal was close. And then we maybe, or certainly I maybe found that those three, first three stages out of Santiago weren't super compelling and so yeah i was just kind of reflecting on on the whole journey um and then just kind of waiting to arrive um at Fisterra. the last day into Fisterra, so our day 60 of our camino for me was a, an amazing day and we were lucky firstly to get a, an amazing weather day yeah. And it's worth repeating just on the whole that we had amazing weather, more or less the entire Camino, just except for about what, five, six, maybe seven days uh, towards the end of the of the Jeda. But then after, you know, that rainy part, once we got to Santiago, it was really nice uh, the rest of the way. So we had a beautiful day going to Fisterra. And that was for me the, I mean, even the walk getting there was the most interesting part of the Camino to Fisterra. And... I just really loved it because I just suddenly felt this anticipation again and I was excited to arrive and yeah, everything that I hadn't really been feeling the previous three days suddenly came back to me and it was, it was cool that it was our 60th day. It's a nice round number mm-hmm. and that we were coming to the coast again, as we've talked about. Yep. And that first sighting of the coast was pretty special. Absolutely. And you can, you can see the village of Fisterra in the distance, and you can also see the cape um, that's further on, and you could just sort of see uh, potentially the, the lighthouse as a speck in the distance. And so, yeah, the views were amazing. Um, and then the other thing which I thought was really cool, and someone had, had told us this when we were talking to some pilgrims a couple of days earlier, that you could walk along the beach as well, which sounded really nice. But it was interesting that the the actual trail does not go on the beach. Like it comes sort of to a point where, where you reach the beach, but then it continues, um, you know, just just set back from the actual sand. And we saw other people just continuing following the, the mojones, following the arrows, um, and they weren't actually going down to the sand. But we went down to the sand and we took off our shoes, and that was amazing. I loved that part. Yeah, yeah, I loved that part too. And that's when we started uh, searching for shells. Absolutely. And we found a lot of them. Um, it was incredible, the number of shells on that beach too. Um, a lot of them were the typical, uh, you know, Camino shells. What do you call those? Scallop shells. Scallop shells. Scallop shells, yes, thank you. But all different kinds of other shells too, and there seemed to be more and more as we continued to walk, the closer we got to Fisterra. So at one point, like, 
it was hard to walk <laughs> because you you couldn't avoid stepping on these shells all the time. Right, and we were in bare feet, so yeah, that was a little bit difficult. But yeah, just that walk on a beautiful morning, walking on the sand, um, and you know, having the the waves come up onto our feet. That was amazing. It's funny. It's just a simple thing like walking along the beach, which um, you know, which you can do all the time if you live near the beach. But uh, it just felt like it was symbolic or emblematic of, of our Camino having started on, on the first day and on day zero, like you mentioned, being on the sand and then now being back on the sand again. The slight problem is that when you get to Fisterra, the village, that's not really the end. No, you have another three kilometers or so to reach the actual coast on the Cape. Yeah, and so that's really uh, what people are there for and not the village itself. And so a lot of people like to go for sunset to the Cape. Well, I mean, we could have done that too, but basically because we arrived in Fisterra and it was pretty early, I'm going to say about 11 o'clock or just before 11 o'clock in the morning, and we weren't just going to kind of hang around all day, and especially because Spain being Spain, sunset is 10 o'clock, I think, at this time of year, um, and so we would have had to have waited basically 10 hours before we started walking again to get to the coast. So, of course, we continued um, straight to the coast uh, just because that was the natural conclusion to, to our Camino rather than just waiting in Fisterra village. It was a beautiful day, as we've mentioned. It was also a Sunday, and it was also summer, and so there were a lot of people about. A lot of tourists, mm. not pilgrims. Yeah, we saw even bus tours uh, as well once we got to the Cape. But, you know, to get there on a beautiful day for me was, was worth having the extra uh, other numbers there or other people mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, given what we know about the weather in Galicia, you could, you could go there some days, I assume, and just be really foggy. Yeah. And not only cloudy, but foggy affecting your visibility, and you wouldn't be able to see out and, and see everything that you want to see. So we were lucky that we had an amazing day weather-wise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we came to the famous Mohon, which has the zero kilometers. And for us, it was over 1,150. I think 1163 was our total kilometers all the way from Tavira. So it was pretty special to finally get to a place where it said zero and that <laughs> we could stop walking. Yeah, because even in Santiago, you don't get that. You don't ever see a Mahon in Santiago that says zero, I don't think. Um, I mean, I suppose if there were one, it would be right in the center of the um, Praça do Obradoiro. But I don't think that that exists, whereas in Fisterra it does, and that's kind of the big uh, selfie station where, you know, you have to get your obligatory photo taken with the zero kilometer marker. Right. I think even people who haven't walked there or who mm. are on a tour or something will go and do that too. Um, and, you know, there's the ocean in the background, the lighthouse in the background. So, you know, it, it's an amazing spot. It's incredibly beautiful. You can completely see why they call it the end of the earth because you just look out over the ocean and you just see nothing uh, except, except the water and the sky and that's it. <music> You have said before that arriving in Santiago and even this time arriving in Fisterra, it's a little bit underwhelming compared with what your expectations have been? Yeah. Um, I don't know if underwhelming is the right word. It's, it's hard for me to describe, but um, my emotions, the emotions that I feel are never the emotions that I think that I'm supposed to feel or that I expect to feel. And in some ways... I don't feel many emotions at all. I just feel kind of empty. Um, and, and that's what it's always felt like coming into Santiago. It's, it's never been this celebratory, joyful moment. And I think that's partly just because it means that the experience is over. And so I'm sad about that. 
But yeah, it just... The emotions that it does bring up are overall rather negative, I would say. And it going to Fisterra, I thought, would perhaps be different. Because I had expressed this before about, uh, you know, how I felt about arriving at the cathedral in, in Santiago. And someone had replied on social media and said, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I've experienced that too. But when I got to Fisterra, that was when I felt, you know, the big arrival moment that I had been waiting for. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll feel that in Fisterra. But I didn't. And if anything, I think it was even more just not what I expected. In just, it was all in my head, you know, just the, like the actual place was beautiful and it actually left me in a funk for a couple of days. Like I was just in a bad mood. <laughs> Um, and part of it was, I think, that there were so many tourists around. I wasn't expecting that. For some reason, it hadn't occurred to me that Fisterra was a popular tourist destination. I suppose I should have expected that. There were these, there was this funny group of people hanging about at the zero kilometer marker. And they were trying to be helpful, but actually they were not... They were not being helpful. For me, That they kind of ruined the experience. Or, I mean, maybe it was just because of this kind of headspace that I was in that I reacted really negatively to them being there. I don't know who they were, but they had matching t-shirts that said Ano Shakobeo or something. So, um, you know, I think they were some kind of volunteer group that was trying to support pilgrims and help people. But the help that they were giving was not what we wanted and was actually just kind of annoying. Like they had created some kind of sign to put in front of the zero kilometer marker to, to that had the date written on it. So I guess so that you could prove the day that you had arrived. But we didn't want that in our photo. We just wanted them to like move it out of the way. And then they also tried to give us shells, scallop shells that had been painted with flags of different countries, like the French flag and the Italian flag and the Spanish flag, and it had just turned it into something really kitsch, um, you know, like just this junky tourist trinket. And they tried to give them to this, and we were like, um, we already have shells, thank you, it's okay. And they're like, oh, okay. And, and then I think... They didn't really think that we had understood that it was a gift. They thought that we thought we were t they were trying to sell them. So one of them came back again and they're like, listen, it's free. It's free. And we're like, yeah, we know. We just really don't want it. Um, and I felt a little bit bad because, you know, I felt they must be frustrated that pilgrims don't want the help that they're trying to offer. But they were just they just didn't get it. Um, yeah, I think that they were sort of treating it as this big celebration and that, and that they wanted to, you know, include all this gift giving and everyone to, to be really in this kind of party type of atmosphere or, or feeling. But really, when you've walked for such a long time as we had 60 days in, in completely solitary Camino, we wanted to be more reflective and more mm -hmm. contemplative. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't that we wanted to jump up and down and, you know, throw our bags up in the air and that kind of stuff. We just wanted to enjoy the moment together in, right. a, in a more quiet kind of way. And right. then they didn't really see that. Yeah, that wasn't their idea of what the arrival should be. 
But yeah, I was really kind of annoyed that they had taken the best of the shells and then ruined them. Like, because surely for every pilgrim, it would be much more special to have a shell that they had actually picked up from the beach themselves. So why not just leave them on the beach so that the pilgrims can find them <laughs> uh, instead of turning them into a souvenir trinket kind of thing that you would buy in a tacky souvenir shop. I know that they weren't selling them, they were giving them away. So I felt kind of bad. I mean, I didn't yell at them or anything, but yeah, I didn't take their stuff either because I, I didn't want it. And, and then I think that that was the moment that, you know, it just, I was, whoa, this is... This is not what I thought or hoped that it was going to be. But other than that, like, you know, the scene was incredibly beautiful and we clambered onto the rocks and we found a quiet little space to ourselves and we had a lovely picnic there. And uh, there were a few other pilgrims around who were, you know, doing the same or just looking out and watching the view. But overall, the tourists far outnumbered the pilgrims and so, it didn't, and I didn't expect that. I thought that it would be mostly pilgrims there, so it didn't feel as much a, like a, you know, an ending to the Camino. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I really loved the day overall because just seeing the coast and walking on the beach and, and all of it, um, and so it was a really memorable day for me. But yeah, there's always that bittersweet sense you arrive and, and you don't know what to do anymore. Mm -hmm. All you've been doing for two months is getting up and walking, and then you get to a point where you can't walk anymore and you don't really know what to do with yourself. <laughs> yeah. All right, so having gone through the Camino Nascent, the Camino Torres, the Camino de Jeiros Sahieros, and the Camino Finisterre, over 60 days, four Caminos, I mean, it's hard to wrap it all up in just a couple of minutes here, but do you have some final thoughts about this whole Camino? Whew. Um, it was perhaps the greatest adventure of our lives so far. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of awesome things. We've had a lot of great adventures, but, you know, this was a big one. Uh, it was definitely the longest, you know, continuous walk or anything like that that we've ever done. And we were really walking out into the unknown, so we kind of felt like explorers uh, to, to a certain extent. Or, you know, I think we had perhaps an experience that was similar to what the Frances would have been like 30 years ago. And that's something really special to be able to experience that in this day and age, because there aren't that many opportunities for, for exploring new places. Yeah, I mean... We talked before about yeah how the adventure of it was just one of the the great things. I mean, especially on the Nascent, which was the really the core of this Camino. It was more than half of it, and that we kind of took that on as our own uh, mm -hmm. because we were uh, you know talking about it with online with other pilgrims and sharing our our journey, and and nobody had ever heard of it or nobody had ever done it, and so we kind of felt like we you know we were almost the first people to ever do this, which is not quite true, but it's not actually that far off it. I mean, we've quoted some numbers before about how, uh, you know, there's only been 40 or so people that have stayed in one of the albergues on the Nascent in, in the three years that it's been open since the Camino itself has been launched. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us to go off the beaten track like that was really cool. I mean, just looking at the four Caminos as a whole, the Nascent we absolutely loved because there was just so much, 
so much adventure to it, so much history to it. It was so rural, so isolated. People were so nice. Um, the cultural aspects of the Alentejo and the other areas were really interesting. And just to have a really long Camino like that was, was really cool. I mean, after that, we did parts of three other Caminos, but they were all quite short. And so you just don't really have the chance to get into it as much as when the, the Camino itself lasts for weeks and weeks. So mm-hmm. we were on the Nascent for just over five weeks and then more or less, uh, well, one week for the Torres and a week and a half for the Sheda and then four days for the for the Camino Finisterre. Yeah, so the Nascent was definitely like the bulk of the Camino. And even that arrival in Trancoso, actually, that was celebratory. <laughs> That's probably the the most joyous arrival I've had on a Camino. And maybe it's because the Camino wasn't over yet. Like the experience as a whole wasn't over yet. So I didn't have that sadness and I could just enjoy the happiness of having achieved this milestone of finishing the Camino in Ascent. Yeah, so that's a, a good um, advertisement for doing multiple Caminos or stitching multiple Caminos together that you can celebrate at the end of each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Trancoso was a great place to finish because it's a, an entirely walled town, has these medieval gates and towers, then it has a castle inside. So it was definitely felt like it was a worthy place to, to finish a Camino. Yeah, for sure. Although the interesting thing for me is that if I look back on individual stages of the entire Camino, the three that probably stand out for me were one each on the other three of the Caminos, hmm. which is the stage in the Douro Valley that we talked about on the Torres, the stage in the National Park that we talked about for the Jeda, and then this final day into Fisterra mm-hmm. as well. Those are the kind of individual days that stand out for me, whereas in a sense, it wasn't so much... I mean, there were some great stages, but it was just hmm. the the whole thing was just really great without there being necessarily one or two or three days that stood out far above the others. Although we did talk about the stage that we love between Alcating and Mishkita, mm-hmm. walking in the, in the wild trails of, of that area um, yeah. along the River Guardiana. Yes, that is definitely one day in particular that sticks out in my mind from the Nascent. The rest, yeah, I more, you know, have kind of a patchwork of memories of different places. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the towns where we stayed overnight were really beautiful towns and with lots of really fascinating history. Um, and then I remember, you know, the, the individual scenes of like walking through the Alentejo and among the cork trees and everything, but I can't pinpoint a day of walking other than that day from Alcotin to Mesquita where I thought, wow, this is an amazing walk in and of itself. But it, it, the whole thing was awesome. Like we really loved it. Yeah. And it's funny that we basically had this original plan to continue going north after it on the Camino du Est. Then later we had the second plan that we would walk a little bit on the Torres and then change it to the Portuguese interior. Mm -hmm. And then finally our third idea, which was the one that we did, was to continue to Braga and then to go to Santiago that way. And someone who we know, uh, who's a New Zealand pilgrim called Grace, has now called this the Nascent Triple and basically said that we invented it. Uh, and she's doing it uh, about a month after us, or about a couple of months after us, she's going to follow in our footsteps. And so maybe this is a thing now. If you want a 50-something day Camino to Santiago, walking north from the south coast of Portugal, this is it. 
Yeah. So Buen Camino, Grace, if you're listening. And um, I hope that more people do do it. Um, or at least, you know, do different parts of it. I mean, I understand that it's rare for someone to have a whole 60 days or 50-something days available to them. But if you do, then, yeah, walking coast to coast, walking all the way through the length of Portugal, you know, seeing the whole country and seeing a different side of the country, completely different aspects of Portugal and Portuguese culture than what you see on the typical Portuguese central going through the big cities on the west coast. I think it's it's a really incredible Camino and I hope that more people do do it because yeah honestly we we enjoyed it a lot more than the more popular route through uh, the western side of Portugal. We did. All right so This brings us to the end of season two of the Spirit of the Camino podcast. You can always find us at spiritofthecamino.com. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or on whichever podcast application that you use. And we will be back, hopefully, in the not too distant future with season three, whatever that may be or wherever that may take us. But I think we're pretty hooked on Caminos at this point. So we're going to be doing more. Yeah, we don't know what, we don't know which Caminos, um, we're, this is not just like a teaser, we really have no idea, really, <laughs> we have a few ideas, but we don't know which one we're doing next, but hopefully it won't be too long from now. Alright, so until then, buen camino. And bo camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.